Praise God, praise God, praise God. So, um, John 17, one more today. Uh, the prayer of Jesus to his, to his father. Closer. There we go. <laughs> and... Um, Jesus' vision for his church is expressed in that prayer. There's two tsunamis of positivism I mentioned last time in this. One is that whatever Jesus envisions for his church, he gets down through the ages. It's what he wants, what he gets. The second thing is God the Father finds the prayers of his son irresistible. So it's going to happen what's in this, this chapter. And one of the great themes of this chapter is sanctification. Now, I know for some of us it's like, well, we don't really have the word sanctification in our culture much. We hear the word sanctimonious. We hear, we hear that's about it, though. And um, I just want you to know that the word sanctified, it's a wonderful, beautiful word. It is in the Bible several hundred times in the Old Testament and the New, over 80 times in the New Testament. And as we mentioned last time, there's a noun form of it which refers to you, and that's the word saint. (laughs) Yeah. We're blood-bought. We're saints. Don't have to earn it. That's just who we are because Jesus' blood bought us into sainthood. But it also, it, it also means we're special. And God not only declares us to be special as in sainthood, but he's working specialness in us. And it's not that someone is trying to be more holy than somebody else. It's that we are fully human when we are living in holiness unto the Lord. That's when we are at our best. You know it, I know it, that when we're rebelling against God, we don't feel good about ourselves. There's sort of a self-destruct mode there, isn't there? And we're at our very best with joy and happiness when we're living um, in um, sanctity before the Lord. And we, we talked last time about this verse. I'm going to read it again. I'm going to read the first point again. In Jesus' vision, sanctification is marked by a confidence that God himself is the fully obsessed sanctifier. And Jesus says this to the Father in his prayer, sanctify them, that's you and me, by your truth. Your word is truth. And we mentioned last time that, that Jesus is using a very strong word. It's in the imperative mood, which means it's a command. So it's like it's, there's an urgency about it. So we know that, the, that God the Son is really wanting this to happen really bad, and the Father is not resisting. He wants it too, and so is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in the church, down through the ages, has desired to, to find interpretation of what it means to live holy before the Lord. And last time, we talked about different revivals this quest for, um, to be sanctified in the different revivals. We looked at that. But the main point from last time 
I wanted to just remind us that that God is calling us to have confidence that it is God himself that is doing the sanctifying. And he's doing it in us, and there's a desire in us. Part of it is the desire in us to be holy and sanctified unto the Lord. Now, I want us to go to a second of five words today. We already did confidence. This is the word joy. In Jesus' vision for his church, sanctification is marked by the overflowing fullness of Jesus' joy. Let's look at the passage in the prayer, John 17, 11. Holy Father, keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. So that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. A couple things about this. God is sanctifying us so we can have more and more joy. And it's, it's beyond the joy that you would normally have in life. Because notice that it says, this joy is, Jesus says, it's my joy. And notice that it doesn't just say, it's my joy. It is not just heaven's joy. It is not just Jesus' joy, who is anointed with the, with the oil of joy above his brothers. It's not just, it's not just, it's not just the joy of the Holy Spirit as a fruit of the Spirit. It's not just the kingdom of heaven is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. It is the fullness of Jesus' joy. And my friends, the fullness of Jesus' joy doesn't have any limitations because everything God does is in the infinite dimension. So we need to not put the lid on or put a put a limitation on the levels of joy that we allow ourselves. Well, that person is just sort of a sanguine personality. They just kind of bubble over. They No. Anybody, any personality has a right to access this joy that Jesus gives us that is above and beyond uh, what we could ask or even imagine, the Bible says. Verse Peter. Above and beyond what we ask or even imagine. That's the joy. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory, Peter says. It's joy unspeakable and full of glory. This is what we access, and this is part of our, our uh, right in Jesus. And have you noticed that joy is sometimes related to obedience? I remember when I was teaching high school, Christian high school, um, some of the kids didn't act like Christians all the time. And uh, I noticed that the ones that, didn't, didn't, um, that were in rebellion against their parents, against teachers, against what was right, against what Jesus was doing in their life, they're the ones that were sullen and um, angry. And boy, you just, it just felt so stirred to pray for those, for those kids. And I think of... Um, you in your life, me in my life, the times that we haven't had um, a close walk with God during seasons of difficulty, 
Have you noticed that the, we don't have as much joy? Have you noticed that? There's sort of a self-destruct um, angle on life. And the, the enemy wants to rob us of our joy. Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. So I'm, I'm reminded that in Psalm 51 verse 12, uh, King David, who had let the enemy rob him of his joy in sinning with uh, Bathsheba and murdering her husband. Wow, that was a low day for King David, wasn't it? So in Psalm 51, he repents and he says, Oh God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Restore it to me, God, the joy of your salvation and uphold me with your generous spirit. So notice the link between the Holy Spirit upholding him and the, and the Holy Spirit willing for those that want to repent and willing to repent, generously being poured out on King David. He knows that that's true, and, and God is restoring to him the joy of his salvation. So when we think in terms of, of our behavior, I know that there are times that some of us feel like, hey, I don't want to focus on my behavior because I'm worried about or I'm concerned about not, not somehow thinking that um, God owes me something or I'm somehow slipping into a legalism or a Phariseeism. Um, what some people would say, well, that person is just religious or being sanctimonious. Uh, just know that God's not going to let you be deceived that way. You're, God's not on the last day going to say to you, okay, all the sheep over here, all the goats over here. Wait, wait a minute. Sheep are on this side. Yeah, goats are on this side. Goats are on the left. <laughs> yeah. And uh, he's not going to say to you, sorry, I know you thought you were doing right, but you really weren't. <laughs> so you're over here on this side with the goats. He's not going to do that. Why? Because you're chosen. And you are, you are um, he who began a good work within you is continuing it until the day of Christ. And if there is an occasion um, where you actually slip into some kind of notion that you're different and you're, uh, you have to do something more than the blood of Christ offers, and you, you're not going to be slipped into that deception because God's not going to let it happen. He loves you as a dearly loved child, and he is gonna, um, he's going to clarify that for you. So don't worry about that. Don't worry about people that would criticize you or judge you or say you're just being religious if you want to be a holy person. You want to have a holy life. It's a totally appropriate that, that we respond to the work of God in our lives, and there is a lifestyle that corresponds to being a saint. And God doesn't expect us... Um, Let me put it this way. I mentioned last time, God gives us the A. He gives us the 100%. He gives us a smiley face. And then he is at work in our lives teaching us the lesson. So relax and enjoy the ride. Turn to the person next to you and say, relax and enjoy the ride. Can you do that? So there's the joy. The third word, confidence that God's at work. Joy in the Holy Ghost, 
Then Jesus refers to warfare. We talked a little bit about this on um, about the devil, but I want to talk about it uh, further in the context of uh, sanctification. Uh, the five words I want to give you, the third word is, is warfare. Point three. In Jesus' vision for his church, sanctification, that is being a, set apart as something special, God working in our lives to change us into the image of Jesus, working holiness in our lives, be holy for I am holy, Jesus the Father says. That vision for his church, sanctification is marked by spiritual warfare that includes a self-image upgrade. The enemy's chief tactic is to, is to lie, as Brenda mentioned today earlier. And if we can, his only power is in his lies. So if we can believe the truth and not believe the lies, that would be a good thing, wouldn't it? Have you noticed in John 17 that there's a strong emphasis on the word and on truth? You know that truth plus faith plus truth equals reality. Faith plus lies equals fantasy. I was living in a fantasy recently. The fantasy was that when I was high on morphine in the ER with my motorcycle crash, I heard the doctor say, you have to have a brace on for three months. But then later I thought, that, had, that can't be true. I, I was in such a dreamy state. I, that can't be true. And when they told me that I had to go in for a, for a, uh, to the specialist, spine specialist, after six weeks, somehow I had it in my mind that after six weeks I could take the brace off. So after six weeks I was here without my brace, you know, walking <laughs> around. The rest of the day I paid for it, I tell you. I paid for it. I believe in God for healing, but boy, that was real pain. <laughs> now I went back to the doctor and got yelled at. Who told you you could take your brace off? <laughs> you have six more weeks, brother. <laughs> so that's why I have to wear this for a little bit longer. But faith plus untruth equals fantasy. <laughs> but faith plus truth is reality. And I love it that, this, that these are truths that we're sharing from God's word, and there's so much more. That's exciting in this passage I'm going to be sharing with you today. So, I want to rewind and talk about what we've already mentioned about defeating the enemy. And last time we rooted it strongly, defeating the enemy. The best defense against the enemy is a good offense. And the best offense is, is really getting a grip in your heart of hearts on what it means to have Jesus' father be your father. It's a huge deal in this passage and in the Bible. When Jesus says, I manifested to my disciples your name, the name he means is the name he referred to his father. That's the name. Before that, the Jews didn't refer to God that much as father. Jesus comes on the scene He has an intimate friendship with his father, and he is imparting that friendship to you and to me. He said, Father, I manifested your name. I manifested your name to them. Then he says, I I kept them in your name. Can you imagine? Jesus referred to the father 
over and over and over again, all day long, every day. He drilled it into them, dad, 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 dad. He kept them. They could never get away from the name of the father, Jesus' father, who is now their father. Couldn't escape if they tried. And then he prays to the father, now, father, I pray that you would keep them in your name. Please keep them in your name. And then he says about the evil one, keep them from the evil one. Keep, kept, manifested, now keep from the evil one. The secret is the name of the Father. Why is it that Jesus says in the Lord's Prayer, right up front, our Father, pray this prayer, you guys, our Father, not just my Father, Oh, Jesus, Santa, you can do it if you want to. We should do it together. I love you guys. You're so obedient. Oh, wow. Whoa, wow. <laughs> Hallowed be what? Thy name. What's the name? Father. We set it apart as special. We set it apart as hallowed. We set it apart as holy. That's what we do. And in the church life, it can... Common things, holy things can become common. And I think that there's a, a very strong admonition here. Never, 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 never let the name Father with reverence to God be, never be cavalier about it or sloppy about it or always, always respect the wonder of it. It's, it's what's keeping you from, in life and from the enemy. Dick Iverson Bible Temple, City Bible Church up in Portland, put it this way, never let the precious become common. Then Jesus goes on to say, give us another hint on defeating the enemy. He says it twice for emphasis, so I'm going to point it out. John 17, verse 14. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. There it is. And he's going to say it again in a moment. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. And here's the sandwich. Keep them from the evil one is between, here it is again. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. He who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. You can't have it both ways. Daniel, my friend at Albertsons, he comes up to me real serious the other day. I've been saying, hi, Daniel. And he says, hi, Daniel, for years. <laughs> comes up, Pastor Dan, we're not supposed to love the world. I said, Daniel... Is true. He who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. But God, all, God has given us all things to richly enjoy. Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights in whom there's no variableness, no shadow of turning. All these things are expressions of his kindness. You think you as a parent or grandparent are generous to your kids on Christmas? Multiply that times a bazillion, and that's what God's heart is towards you throughout, in a constant way towards your life. 
When we say, when the Bible says, don't love the world, it doesn't mean don't praise God for his continual flow of good gifts. He just means in the anointing of the Holy Spirit, don't let, don't let them ever become idols. Is that clear? And we have to say no to the world. It's called mortifying the flesh. There's another theological word. It's in the Bible. Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it this way. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Peter put it this way. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved in the end times when Christ comes, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? I'm not saying we should go through our whole life with a constant introspection. Because if the arrows are always pointing inward, we can't fully have a a Holy Spirit anointed full expression of love to God and to others. There is a certain twistedness of introspection about holiness that can turn all the arrows inward on ourselves. I'm not calling for that, nor is the Bible. But what we, I, love, I love what Bill Johnson, uh, Bethel Church Reading, has said. He said, they used to be that way, and he realized something was off. And he said, now I've been free. Now I just give myself fully to loving God, ministering to God in worship, ministering to people in love, however I can. But when God points something out, that's when I want to focus that and and get rid of it in my life. That's the proper balance, don't you think? Warfare. Don't love the world. When we love the world, we are unwittingly cooperating with Satan's self-destruct plan for us. Word for is the word work. In Jesus' vision for his church, sanctification is marked by glorifying God, by finishing well the work God gave us to do. Jesus put it this way earlier in verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work. I glorified you by finishing the work, which you have given me to do. I want to ask you a question. Are you finishing the work God gave you to do? We all get to do all that Jesus got to do. There's no limitation. So never say, I can't do that, or I don't have a gift for that. We all get to do all of it. But there, but there is a certain ministry calling we find ourselves gravitating into. I gave you the word saints the other day, Bible word. Another word is apostolos. It's the word Jesus used here for as as. You sent me, so I'm sending them. In other words, you're not only a saint, you're an apostle. You are sent into the unique area of ministry in your city, in your family, in your neighborhood that Jesus has called you to. And I want to tell you, I've, I had a um, conversation with my haircutter the other day, Christian gal. And her name is Mercedes, about pain. And I asked her, 
what purpose do you have in your life? What joy do you have in your work? And she says, you know what I like? I like, I realize that people often have self-image issues related to their hair. And so I like to always find something complimentary to say about people's hair. And then she was quick on the draw on another thing. I said, really, that's awesome. What else, Mercedes? She says, I love to, be, to provide a homeless shelter for cats. And I thought, you know, that is such a, you know, God loves his creatures. You know, the Humane Society was started by Christians. I have a Humane Society at my house right now. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. <laughs> I am absolutely convinced, my friends, that God has called us. You, you, if you were to go home and read Isaiah 61, I won't take time to read it here. There's all these different ways that Jesus has prophesied that he came onto the planet to alleviate pain. And I want to ask you, what are you doing? What's your calling to alleviate pain? There's a calling for you. I, I wish, and I have, I'm not going to belabor this because we have other, we've done whole sermons just on this one thing. But the Spirit of God will not give you rest until you find your niche, your area. Maybe it's cats, maybe it's haircuts, I don't know. With Aaron Peterson the other day, he was substitute teaching, and these students uh, come up, these two girls come up and say, we want to do a report on Christmas and another one said, I want to do a report on Easter. And he, very wise as a serpent, innocent as a dove, said, oh, so you do know the origins of Christmas. And you know what? In our world today, that, that middle schooler did not know the origin of Christmas. Shocking. Another girl said, I don't know what, what I don't know, East, Christmas is about Santa Claus, but I don't know what, what Easter about Easter bunnies, right? No, let me tell you, he said. And he wasn't pushing. He just giving them information. Christians believe that Jesus was born on Christmas Day, Son of God. He was raised from the dead on Easter. So my, on, you know, Resurrection Day, for those who prefer that. So here's the, here's the scoop. We are just, we are just, we have opportunities to alleviate pain. And, and I don't know what that could mean for those girls. I don't think they said, okay, I, I don't have my back doesn't hurt anymore. Not that kind of pain. But there's, there's a blessing that will come into them in their future. God will use that. I know you guys that are soul winners, you're alleviating, helping alleviate eternal pain and distress. Those of you that help people with their marriages, you're helping them have happiness in their marriages. You're alleviating marriage pain. And those of you that work with foster kids, you're, you're alleviating um, the pain of, of, and loss of, of, that can happen in a home in a child's life. There's an area for all of us. God has called us to participate in his grand mission on the planet. Yet the devil comes to steal, to kill, to destroy. That's pain. And Jesus has come to bind up the strong man. He did that on the cross, and now he calls us to ransack his house and help people get rid of pain. Let's get on it. Healing rooms. Boy, that's right there, isn't it?
people being delivered from demonic forces, all kinds of things. That's work. Number five, final point. Jesus sanctifies us by his glory. Jesus sanctifies us by his glory. That's my favorite part. You know, when the Apostle Paul talks about the different aspects of salvation in Romans 8, he says, those of you that were foreknown, he predestined. Those of you that were predestined, he called. Those of you that were called, he righteousified, justified. And those of you that he justified, this is all of you, he doesn't say sanctified. Why? He says glorified. He's, he goes from justified to glorified because being glorified is the, is the major secret of being sanctified. And it's not referring to someday you're going to be glorified and it's so certain that he writes it in the past tense. He's referring to the fact that right now, Right now, he's so pressing his glory onto you. It's his attitude. Sometimes you feel a wave of his glory, like in worship today. Christmas songs at home, a Bible verse, a sermon. Sometimes you get hit with a wave. I'm talking about a fundamental attitude towards you. In John 17, glory is mentioned seven times. Perfect number. John's into it. Lots of numbers. There's a stunning part, though. Where Jesus says to the Father... You've given me your glory. I give you glory in the intimacy of the, of the Trinity. You've given me glory. I've given you glory. And I've given your glory and my glory to them. And they are one as we are one. Friends, oneness in the church has nothing to do with denominations or leadership or socioeconomic or ethnicity. Glory, oneness has everything to do with when we are worshiping. We're in the glory. Every time you say glory to God, you're not sending him a letter. Glory means honoring him, yes. But I want you to know that glory is also fully experiential by the Holy Spirit. 
manifest presence of God. Glory, my friends, I like what John Stott, how John Stott would say, glory is the outward shining of his inner person. Every time you say glory to God, He says glory right back to you. Thank you. I'm not saying you're deity. I'm just saying you're a dearly loved child that he loves to share his glory with. And you know, he's so generous that through you, it says that the world may believe because of the glory that's on you, that the world may believe. He's so generous that when you share your faith in Christ, in the presence of the Holy Spirit and the, and the glory of God in your life, there is a huge splash effect onto people you talk to. They feel the anointing too. And the glory of the Lord is going to cover the whole earth. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the experience of the glory of the Lord is going to one day cover the whole earth as the water covers the sea. And then it's going to go into eternity. Glory is the outward shining of God's inner being. And he's so willing to share with us Let's stand up. When I grow up, I'm going to stop crying when I preach. <laughs> Marty will have a prophetic team over here ministering. Personal prophecies. There'll be a healing team over here. If anybody would like prayer for something. Or maybe you just want to pray for a fresh baptism of the Holy Spirit. So one of the secrets to experiencing the glory of God is a fresh baptism of the Spirit. Maybe you want to have, have them lay hands on you for more, more of that. You figure that out. Right now, I want to help people that want to get started with Jesus. And I want you to, in just a moment, I'm going to have you close your eyes and look up at me to say, Pastor Dan, I'm, I'm responding to Jesus because I want this glory. I want glory forever. I want to know him. How can you say, how can you say no? How can you say no to this kind of love? Well, what do I have to do? Just 
say this heart, this with me. Becca, close your eyes. I want to give you a chance. Look, I'm looking to my left. Just look up and catch my eye. I'm not going to call you up front. I just want you to catch my eye if you're responding to Jesus for the first time. Anybody on my left? Not seeing anybody. Raise your hand if I miss you. Middle, left. Thank you. One person. Anybody else? Mid, my, uh, middle, right, my right. Anybody saying yes to Jesus? I'll misunderstand if you're looking up for any other reason. One more person. Looking to my far right. Responding to Jesus. Are you responding to Jesus? Okay. If you are, just wave at me. I can't see you. Okay. Two people today. Say this after me. Come into my heart. Come into my heart. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. All together. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. Come in, I pray. Come in to stay. Come into my heart, Lord Jesus. He's there. He's there. God bless you. Merry Christmas to everybody.